Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store. I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes, the PR, comms and marketing podcast. Answering things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hi Harriet, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. So we're going to be chatting briefly about filtered influence and it follows like Norway coming in with, I'd like to say controversial, but this is a law that's been proposed in numerous countries for influencers to basically call a spade a spade and tell their audiences on particularly paid advertising posts where an image has been filtered or altered in any way, which I think is really positive. It's been done to kind of support young people and kind of just being honest about what is real and to help with kind of mental health and body image kind of issues. What do you think? There is a social media video. I don't know whether it's real or it's fake, but it is of Kim Kardashian skims advert and she's dragging her hand across her body and at one point her finger changes on her body which means that at some point the advert was airbrushed and obviously they don't have a responsibility to tell people this or they would tell us that actually skims doesn't also make your fingers thinner because it's a shapewear for the rest of the body but I just think there's too much false advertising it's like for example when jennifer lopez bought out a skincare line and she said that olive oil is what made her skin look the way it looks now i'm no dermatologist but i think with jlo's money it's got to be more than olive oil that has led to that come on jlo i mean what's really interesting so girl guiding charity put a report out last year kind of september time and they backed a proposal for a law change in the uk which is to our social media users and advertisers to label images where bodies or faces have been edited and the pushback has been then and kind of now is like oh it'd be really hard to enforce and like in fairness some of the norwegian influencers said like you know yeah we recognize it's there's an issue but this is just a short fix like where i stand on it i guess i think that yes it may be one element but i think if you took like advertising like you say like social media posts that are kind of advertising as well like product images like how many mascara adverts you've seen it's like one coat and suddenly they're better than a pair of false lashes it's like that's not real but you know like I've got a 10 year old daughter if she saw something like that she'd be like wow that's amazing like both of them tell me about house products like oh no you need to get this because we've seen the advert and look at the amazing things it does it's like kids will believe all that kind of stuff so I think it is important but I also think things like magazines music video like Megan Trainer got in all that trouble because after being like such a body confidence icon have been edited in one of her music videos to look slimmer and I think it's only going to work when it becomes like a legal thing rather than just like try and be honest guys and people like do a breathing out picture and go like mm, insta versus reality it's like that's not enough yeah i don't i don't think insta versus reality is enough but also at the same time it what i struggle with is when people use filters or even like we're talking about the magazine industry and it's notorious for light lightening dark-skinned black women or dark-skinned Asian women, and it lightens them. And that, that sends out a wrong perception because I think they've lightened, they lightened Kerry Washington at one point and they've lightened so many other people. And I think, A, it doesn't do anything in terms of representation because that's not the reality of the person. But also, B, if you're a magazine and you feel that you have to lighten a black person, why, why do you have to do that? To sell more copies? 
So you're perpetuating a beauty standard which even you can't keep up with. So why did you want the celebrity on your cover if all you're going to do is lighten her or change her? And I know that some people get into shape and they work out to be on magazine covers. And, you know, they go through some really crazy diets and all those kind of things to get on the covers. And I think also that needs to be thought about because if people are picking up copies of women's health and shape and that all they're seeing is abs on the cover and they don't know that person um, literally bought that six months ago has had to starve themselves has been in the gym twice a day it's just we need more honesty about certain things in certain industries so that people know what they're getting themselves into 100% I'm reading a book at the moment called Brandsplaining and they talk about you know how marketers have perpetuated advertising towards women and they talk about like toxic femininity like you're never going to be enough it's always been about thinner and being a good girl and looking a certain way and striving for all these aspirations but certainly from the look and feel of marketing that's like massively an issue and I think you're right it's not just you know there's like legal and government changes but I think there has to be a commitment that's broader than that because you know we we talk about advertising standards and it wasn't that long ago that the law side of things had to catch up and actually labeling an ad and ad like I put hashtag ad on something so like if you're using filters like I know on Instagram sometimes when like just as a normal person or organization it will come up if you've used certain things but I think what they're talking about is specific like if you've changed the look of your face or taken in your waist slightly or done all these things and then you're promoting a product you know that is false advertising because you're kind of indicating to someone that that product could have that effect on you I think it has to be like a sustained attack on that falsehood because I think you know you look at young people we talked about perfectionism like on a, on a previous advert like how would you ever feel enough like you it's constant right so I think yeah there just needs to be a lot done I think I really welcome if the UK could kind of emulate some sort of law change as well and also just from employer brand's perspective people need to stop using stock images on their staff websites just say who works at your company and put their pictures because if you keep using stock images you're selling a false narrative that these are the people who work here when they're clearly not and I know people did it post Black Lives Matter when they were trying to show that they're a diverse company when they've not got a single black person working for them so just from an employer brand point of view an internal comms point of view can you stop using stock images for your staff if they don't work there just be real or like we're gonna have words is what we're saying (laughs) this week our guest is raf mcdonald raf has over 20 years of experience working in the music and entertainment industry doing brand deals for music talent and celebrities he's the founder of talent and brands an agency that specializes in working with celebrity talent for brand campaigns and he's also represents a roster of celebrities as their commercial agent Raf has a background in FMCG brands with senior sales and marketing roles at Foster's Beer, Walker Crisps and Coca-Cola. He then moved into the entertainment industry as senior vice president at leading record label EMI Music. At EMI, he led the brand partnership and music licensing team in Europe, developing opportunities for their roster of leading music artists, including Robbie Williams, Kylie Minogue, The Gorillas, Coldplay and Tiny Temper. So, Raf, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's really nice to be with you guys today. So how do you decide whether a brand deal is right for a client as the agent or doing the partnership? Uh, I tend to use three different things that I'm looking at to see if a partnership is going to work. Um, the first one is brand fit. The second one I call availability. And the final one, which is important, is money. And I think if you've got all three of those, you've generally got a deal that's going to work. If two of them out of the three work, so if you've got a great brand fit and the availability works, 
Um, and by the way, availability, I mean, do they want to do it? Are they available to do it? Are they in the country? Do the timings work? There's a whole bunch of things that mean availability. It's not just, are they available on the date? But if you've got the first two working, then money is something you can work on. Equally, if availability and money work, then you know what? You can work with the brand fit and see if you can improve on the one that doesn't work. If you've just got one of those, if people are just offering you a lot of money, and the brand fits bad and the availability doesn't work, you won't do it. It's similar to if you were being offered a job. If you think about your career, if somebody offered you a job with great money, but you didn't like the company and didn't like the work you're doing, you wouldn't just take it. It has to be more than one thing that drives you. And what tips do you have for in-house teams when approaching talent and negotiating? Of course, I'm going to say that you should use people like me. (laughs) I would save you and the client a lot of money, hopefully, because I'm realistic about what they can get for their money. But also save the client and their team a lot of headaches. You know, it's a very complex industry with a lot of characters, personalities, relationships that need to be navigated. It's not the same as marketing FMCG products. We're dealing with people and human beings and they all have different ways they need to be managed. And relationships and experience count in the entertainment industry more than I think in any other industry that you could work with. So I see a lot of poor approaches, if I'm honest. I see emails from PR agencies where they've copied and pasted a generic email to lots of different talent and they haven't even bothered to put the right name of the talent in they still got the name of the last person they sent the email to which is hilarious when you see you know they're offering the same job to a different talent that you don't work with or you know what i've seen more recently with influencers which i think is really bad practice just generic emails from agencies going hey lovely saw your instagram we'd love to work with you they don't even put the name of the talent in i think if you're going to try and engage somebody to buy into your proposal, you know, make it personal, make sure you're addressing it to somebody, find out more about them, lay out the services that you need really clearly. So many woolly proposals that just skirt around it. Tell them how much you're prepared to offer. Um, ballpark, you know, a fee makes people sit up. They get so many emails that if you're not getting their attention, they're just not going to come back on your proposal. So talking about what it is very impactfully tell them what the brand is a lot of people say i can't tell you what the brand is it's confidential well then the the talent just not going to be interested (laughs) talk about the money you're not committing to a fee but i think you have to be realistic about ballparks there's no point going through a great brand pitch for a talent and getting them really excited and then you at the end tell them you've only got ten thousand pounds for them and this artist won't get out of bed for less than a hundred thousand then you've just wasted everyone's time so i think you've got to really capture their attention they get so many approaches that they could look at you've got to make it realistic impactful and something they're going to say yes to i think you're right certainly the influencer sort of trend has really made that much more complicated because there's so many little things like could you repost this and it's kind of made it harder i think to be more direct for some people so let's talk food brands and in particular crisps tell us about how that brand deal with the famous footballer came to be so I was at Walker's in, in 1995 when Gary Lineker became the first ambassador. I was actually the brand manager on Monster Munch at the time. So I wasn't the guy behind the Lineker campaign. The, the marketing director at the time was a guy called, I think, Martin Glenn, who was running Walker's at the time. And I think the whole premise behind the idea was that Gary was the Mr. Nice Guy. He'd never been booked in any professional football games. So this idea of where people thought he was a nice guy, but actually turning it into a guy that might take the crisps off the little kid was the whole premise of the idea. So it was no more Mr. Nice Guy. I, as I said, was working on Monster Manch, but then I became marketing manager for Walker's Crisps later in the 90s and I worked with Lineker on various TV ads. And one of the ones I worked with him on was a weird one where we worked with the Looney Tunes with Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes um, virtually. So he never actually had anyone else in the ad other than these virtual characters that then got dropped in in CGI. But yeah, I worked with Mr. Lineker quite a few times when I was there at Walker's. 
you were doing virtual before we all started doing virtual. So when you set up your business, Talent Brands, what was your vision for the for the business and why did you set it up? Well, I'd worked at a record label working with artists and I'd work on the agent side at CAA representing talent. And, and what I found was that a lot of brands and their agencies don't understand how to work with talent. It's a, it's a completely different language. It's almost like speaking Japanese. You know, they come from different worlds, brand people work in different ways. And I'd obviously come from that brand world, having worked at Coca-Cola and Walkers. And I knew how to work from the brand side. And then when I moved to the talent side, working with talent at the record label and at the agent world, I understood what the talent need and the needs of the talent and how to make that work for them. So I found that there was something lacking, that people just didn't have somebody to guide them through that process. Brands and their agencies were coming across opportunities and they were executing these deals badly or they were going wrong for them or paying too much not knowing the real value and equally the talent didn't know how to speak to brands and they didn't know that when a brand needs certain services on a certain day and they've got timelines that those timelines are real so all the things that brands take for granted the talent didn't understand and all the things that talent take for granted the brands didn't understand so being effectively somebody who can help almost like a dating broker you know you're dating you're bringing two parties together and finding the perfect match so i'm a matchmaker really in the brand and celebrity space and i think there's a a big opportunity i think in the u.s there's a lot more people who do this sort of work because the size of the business is bigger and the size of the deals are bigger and there's a lot more celebrity and i think in in this space what i found was there were a lot of unprofessional people as well you know a lot of brands had their fingers burnt dealing directly with agents or dealing with brokers and middlemen who just are not professional don't work the way that brands want them to work so you know my vision was to set it up in a way where we were trusted by both parties and also just to be nice as well which i think goes a long way in this industry we always talk about things that go well and success but what have you learned from when a campaign has gone wrong or a partnership hasn't had the impact that you, you wanted it to have or that the in-house team or the agency wanted it to have i think if a deal doesn't work out it's usually because from the outset both parties haven't been realistic about their expectations i mean you know again take it back to relationships if you're a matchmaker or dating you know you're trying to find people who can come together and work collaboratively and and make the the relationship work. So I think sometimes deals do fall over in the music and entertainment industry because you're working with an unpredictable industry. Things do go wrong. You know, people, you're working with people. Sometimes things happen in their personal lives or there are situations that you can't control. Those things are things you have to deal with when working with talent. And then it becomes really important at those times to have people in your corner. If you're the brand, who know how to work with the talent and navigate these situations. You know, you might have to find somebody at very short notice to replace the talent who are going to perform something for you. And if you don't have somebody who can literally pick up the phone and has trusted relationships where people are going to put their artist in in 24 hours without a contract in place yet and trust you, then you're going to be in trouble. So I think having people who can help you through the deals solves a lot of the problems coming in the first place. By working with people like myself, I think you get the benefit of those years of experience of knowing where the pitfalls are, how to avoid them, how to plan for contingencies, how to make sure that in the contracts, there are clauses that make you feel comfortable that if things didn't go to plan, you're still going to feel comfortable with the deal. And if not, that there are remedies in the contract where you'll get a sense of your money back or whatever the remedies might be. So you're never going to avoid things coming at you from left of field that you've never thought about. But if you've worked in the industry long enough, you've probably thought about 99% of those things and planned for them. But a lot of people enter into celebrity partnerships 
without that experience and they get their fingers burned. What metrics should in-house teams be looking at to ensure they're getting the value for money from partnerships? Well, I think the influencer world has really changed this. You know, years ago, before the influencer world and TikTok and Instagram, brands used much more traditional KPIs and metrics. I think a lot of brands immediately, when they're looking for a celebrity deal, they go to celebrities' talents Instagram page to look at how many followers have they got. I think that's a very basic measure. You know, number of followers can not necessarily mean that you have lots of fans who really want to engage with that content. So, you know, the reach and engagement of the social posts has become a much more common factor in terms of working with talent, mainly driven by the influence of talent, but also now with, with celebrities, brands want to see what reach and engagement those posts have. And just because you've got a big following doesn't mean you're going to get that level of engagement. There might be a smaller following with greater level of engagement with the content. But I think some of the you know more traditional brand KPIs, like you know, attitudinal measures towards the content and traditional KPIs such as awareness are also important because if you're working with a celebrity, you're also buying into the brand value that that celebrity brings. It's not just about their followers. You're looking for the recognition and the warmth and the values they bring. You know, I worked with Kylie Minogue doing her Specsavers collaboration, and that was very much about Kylie bringing her brand values to the Specsavers brand in terms of her own glasses range. And yet you mentioned you worked in the music industry with some pretty big artists. What was the most memorable brand partnership during that time? Um, I think I just mentioned it, actually, funny enough. I think the Kylie Minogue collaboration with Specsavers was, for me, uh, something I was really proud of pulling together because it took about 18 months to really pull that opportunity together for both parties. And it wasn't just a, a celebrity sticking their face on a TV campaign. It was Kylie thinking about what she wanted to create in a range of glasses and actually designing them. And she got involved in the design process, selected the sort of frames that she liked. She actually selected smaller frames that she said would be great for smaller faces because she had a smaller face and having that level of input and you know she sat with the creative director of Specsavers several times in the office to just go through and select what she felt suited her brand her followers and to be able to get both parties from that initial approach to agree that this could work for them both was quite a long process but getting them both to a point where Kylie felt comfortable it would be her range of glasses that she could put her stamp on and giving Specsavers that reassurance that they would get what they wanted out of a celebrity deal was a great result and I think you know they're still available for sale in Specsavers four or five years after the deal was put together so you know I feel really good about that. So we've seen the rise of sort of celebrity they're creating their own brands and also being a part of other brands whether that's in fashion, beverage, homeware, beauty and especially skincare of late and it's almost reaching that point of oversaturation a little bit. So what advice do you have for somebody who's working with a client and they're thinking about creating their own brand, whether in, in FMCG or, or beauty or in any other sort of sector to create that differentiation? So I, I think the influencer emergence has really you know, led to oversaturation, I think, as, as you were talking about. And so I think the converse of that is it's led to a lot of brands wanting to work with what I'd call you know, real talent as well. I'm not suggesting that influencers aren't real talent. I work with lots of influencers who are real talent. But that sense of authenticity, you know, and there's nothing a brand hates more than seeing an influencer post about their brand today and then post about a competitor next week. And the fans don't like that because then it looks like they're just being paid to post. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, paying to post is fine. It's a more of a media buy and it develops reach and awareness. But I think brands are looking for authenticity. So you know, making sure that if you're going to work with a celebrity to launch your product or promote your product, having 
an association that feels real and credible is important because your consumers will sniff it out and the celebrities fans will sniff it out if it's not real they'll call it out immediately and you'll see on social media when you do a deal if your fans like it and if your consumers like it they'll tell you straight away you know badging rarely works so you need to find a, a credible reason why the fans of the brand and the fans of celebrity will buy into the collaboration and the other thing i'd say in terms of advice is you know never settle on one celebrity that you know you've got to keep your options open the celebrities you think might work with you are not necessarily going to say yes to you it's better to start with an open brief lay down your objectives and work with somebody like me to go through the objectives and say okay based on what you're looking at and the money you've got and the sort of brief and brand fit here are 10 people that i think would work within this price point that we could go and have a conversation with and then you can narrow down those options for your favorites and start having conversations and as those first ones drop out it enables you to go further down the list and look at options that might be more likely to happen and what advice do you have for anyone who's thinking about moving into brand deals or sponsorship career wise well i think for me i've benefited from working what i call all sides of the table you know i've worked on the brand side i've worked with the talent a, a rights holder and then I've worked as a representative of the talents almost like three sides of the triangle so I think if you can build experience in each of those areas it makes you more credible and it makes your experience count more when you go into those sorts of roles rather than just having sat on one side of the table but the other piece of, of advice I guess for anyone working in these areas I, th- I think you see a lot of people go through their business careers especially in tough areas like sponsorship or talent deals and they forget that you're working with people relationships really matter and people forget they don't forget very quickly they have long memories and i think in in this industry you know kindness goes a long way and it and it sounds cheesy but it does make the world a better place so i think you should always be kind treat people with respect regardless of who they are and where they've come from and, and what level they are in the organization or they're dealing with and and i think if you do that then you build credibility and people respect you as a professional in the area you're working with and i think that's one of things that a lot of people forget in this industry thanks for joining us and everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes we're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you so dm us on social or get in touch with harriet at commsovercoffee.com or myself rebecca at threadandfable.com if you enjoy the podcast please do rate review subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us find us on twitter at rebecca robert seven or at harriet smozzy Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.